<laughs> What's up? How's everybody doing? Good to see you. Hey, I want to welcome all those watching online. Would everyone put your hands together for those that are watching online? So glad you're with us. Do see a lot of Chiefs gear out there. Um, any Chiefs fans in the house? Any uh, Bengals fans? I see one hand there. We're just gonna, we're just gonna all pray. Everybody, stretch out your hand. Pray for them. <laughs> no, his or her. I can't really see you, but parent is like, no, no, you're not a Bengals fan. Don't do that. Don't. <laughs> you're gonna get us excommunicated. <laughs> well, that that'll be a lot of fun. Anybody going to the game? Anybody going to the game? Okay. No, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's cold outside. No, we're not going to the game. So, uh, well, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the Chiefs beat the Bengals. It's going to be super fun. But before then, got a little sermon to preach. Okay, you guys ready for this? You guys ready? Okay, so we've been in this series on Matthew. Pastor Scott preached last week uh, on Matthew, the beginning of uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at the rest of chapter 4. But Matthew is a part of the Synoptic Gospels, which is kind of a fancy word for Matthew. Is um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar when you read them. John's kind of different, so they classify them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. So Matthew is the first gospel in, uh, the first book in the New Testament. And specifically, Matthew is writing to the Jewish people, trying to show them and convince them that Jesus is the Messiah, like the one that they were looking for, the one that they were longing for, the one that they were reading about in the Old Testament that would come and would rescue them. Jesus, or uh, excuse me, Matthew is saying that Jesus is that person, trying to show and convince the Jews that this is, this is the person. And so you also have Matthew, who is a tax collector, until he meets Jesus. So he up and leaves all that he has. And uh, to be a tax collector in that day was not a great thing for the Jewish people because the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans. They were being occupied by the, the Roman government. And while they weren't slaves, they weren't exactly free, and they also had to pay high taxes. So for Matthew, who was a Jew, to become a tax collector was kind of to betray his own people. But then Jesus transforms his life. He meets Jesus, changes everything. And then now, after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, Matthew gives his life and part of his work to writing an account about Jesus. So now he's serving the very people that he betrayed. He's serving the Jews. And so we get to peek in on what he writes down. And last week, Pastor Scott talked about chapter four, the beginning of it, was the temptation of Christ, where he was being tempted by the devil. It's very interesting when you look at that, that story, it kind of mirrors the Old Testament and the Israelites coming up out of Egypt. So you know the story of like the plagues and stuff and the Egyptians come, or the, um, the Israelites come up out of Egypt and they go through the Red Sea and then they end up in the desert for 40 years. It's very similar to the same thing that happens with Jesus. He leaves heaven and he comes to this earth and then we saw in chapter three that he was baptized. So he went down through the water and then immediately goes into the desert and he goes there for 40 days, one day for every year that the Israelites were in the desert. And if you remember the story in the, the Israelites in the desert, they were tested and tempted in the desert, but they failed. But when Jesus was tested and tempted, he succeeded. He used the word of God and what we weren't able to do, what the Israelites weren't able to do, Jesus was able to do. And so that's what we looked at last week about temptation. 
And then this week, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4. And the title of today's message is, Let's Actually Follow. Let's Actually Follow. Turn to somebody right now and say, let's actually follow. Go on. Let's actually follow. Okay, so we're going to look at this. We're going to jump right into it. Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 12. This is what it says. When Jesus heard that John, and the John he's talking about is John the Baptist. When Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Calpurnium, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, so uh, I just want to make some commentary notes as we, we go through this. First is, why did Jesus withdraw? Like, why did he pull away? Okay, so John the Baptist was uh, arrested, thrown in prison because he had told Herod uh, Antipas, who was the governor of that area, like, hey, you shouldn't be marrying the person that you're marrying, got rid of his former wife, and then married somebody else. He's like, hey, that's against God's law. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, Herod didn't like that, and probably his wife didn't like that, so they threw him in prison. So as soon as that happens, it says that Jesus withdrew. And uh, some scholars don't know exactly why he withdrew, but likely there's a couple reasons. One, Jesus was probably a disciple of John the Baptist, so was at least following him. And whenever something bad would happen to the person that you're following, you would take some, a season, some time to, to withdraw. And so that's likely what Jesus is doing. In addition to that, this is the moment that Jesus sees that John the Baptist's ministry has come to an end, and now it's Jesus' time to start his ministry. And so what he does is he withdraws, he prays, and then he goes to where God was calling him to go. And so here in verse 14, you've got Matthew now quoting the Old Testament. Remember, he's a guy that was constantly quoting the Old Testament, trying to show the Jews like, hey, this is the guy. Jesus is fulfilling all of these prophecies. So look what it says in verse 14. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea, by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Okay, so again, here you have, you have Matthew that's quoting the Old Testament because they're trying to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. But Jesus also goes to Galilee. And Galilee was, in the ancient times, was a big trade route. So you had the Sea of Galilee, and all around it, you had tons of people that lived there. So it was a highly populated place. So likely, Jesus now is going to this place to pick up where, where John the Baptist had left off and to start his ministry. It's a very highly populated area. Okay, so then verse 17, that's what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Which those words are very similar to what John the Baptist was preaching. So here you have Jesus picking up where John the Baptist left off, but Jesus obviously would take it so much further. He would do so much more than John the Baptist would do. Okay, so now here's verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Okay, so what Matthew does here is he kind of just gives you the highlight details of this story. He says, okay, you had Peter and Andrew. They were fishing. They left. They followed Jesus. Then you had James and John. They left what they were doing and followed Jesus. But we actually have another account of this story in the Gospel of Luke. And what Luke does is he gives us a more detailed version of this same exact story. So we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 5 and look at this interaction between Jesus and and Peter, okay, he often calls him Simon. Simon's the same person as, as Peter, okay? So Luke chapter five, I'm gonna read it starting in verse four. It says this, when he, he being Jesus, had finished speaking, so Jesus did a sermon for everybody, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now again, just real quick note, like why does he call him master? Because at this point, Peter technically wasn't following Jesus. Peter was not a disciple of Jesus. Well, likely in that time, Jesus was wearing rabbinical clothing and he just preached a sermon and it would have been appropriate for Peter to address him as master, even though technically at this point, Peter is not one of the disciples. He's not following Jesus. Likely, Peter and the others knew about Jesus, was seeing all these great things happen, and knows that he's a rabbi and calls him master. Okay, so, so here you have Peter, who's fished all night and hasn't caught anything, and here you've got Jesus saying, hey, now just go ahead and give it one more try. Cast out the net one more time. I wanna show you what's going to happen. So here it is, verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so full that it began to sink. Now look at this, verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is where we're gonna get our first point of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point. Shame will steal, kill, and destroy God's best for you. Shame will steal, kill, and destroy God's best for you. So here you've got Peter. What is he feeling in this moment? Obviously, he's feeling, he's feeling shame. And Peter was, like I said, probably keeping his distance from Jesus and, and was a casual follower from a distance and watching, hearing some of his sermons, but now he has an encounter with God. Like he sees this miracle happening and probably what Peter was thinking was like, hey, I don't want, I don't want Jesus to know, like I don't want God to know what I've been doing. Like Peter probably wasn't doing a great job of keeping the 10 commandments. He probably wasn't doing a great job of making sure he was doing his daily Bible reading he probably was not doing well when it came to church attendance. He was sleeping in all the time. Like he was, he was not wanting Jesus to figure out what he, was, what he was up to. He was feeling shame. You know, what's interesting is we see this from the very beginning in Adam and Eve, which almost serves as a model that just continues to repeat itself millions and billions of times over in humanity. It does in this story, and it does at the very beginning. Because you had Adam and Eve, who right after they sinned, what happened? They, the Bible says they felt shame. They felt shame. They wanted to cover themselves. And then you had God walking around in the garden 
saying, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you guys at? And then they say, hey, we hid because we heard your, your voice. It was interesting about what happens with, in the garden continues to happen over and over. What, is it, what does shame do? Shame wants to create separation. It does for Peter. He's like, get, get away from me. Like, I'm a sinful man. You're a holy man. I'm a sinful man. Let's, let's just depart from each other. Like, I can't have you around me. Adam and Eve, like, oh, just get away. We're gonna hide. We're gonna go run. And doesn't that happen with us? We do something, we do something wrong. We do something bad. We feel shame. And then what do we wanna do? I'm not gonna read the Bible today. <laughs> Probably not gonna pray today. <laughs> nope, not gonna, go to, not gonna go to small group. <laughs> Don't wanna be around my, my friends that go to church especially the godly ones. No, don't wanna be around them because shame wants to create this separation. And you know what's interesting though? This is so fascinating to me. Like we can feel shame and then we don't wanna associate with the things that physically represent God as if God doesn't know what we did. You know, like, oh, if I don't go to church, then God probably doesn't know. It's like, no, he knows, he knows you know what, that's the last thing God wants you to do is to run from him when you feel shame. And what Peter was feeling, he was feeling shame. And, and Jesus, you know what he knew about Peter? Everything. He knew it all, and yet he said, I still want you on my team. I still want you. And the same is true for us, that God still wants us. Okay, so where is, where is the shame coming from? Like, where, where is it originating from? So first, a, a couple couple things as it relates to, to shame. The, the shame wasn't coming from Jesus. So we want to be clear about that. The shame was coming from Peter, okay? Like he was feeling the shame. God doesn't shame us. Jesus doesn't shame us. Okay, that's not what God's intent and goal is. Okay, Peter was feeling the shame. Jesus doesn't say anything about shameful things to him. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. There's a clear distinction, though, between the idea of guilt and shame. Okay, Brene Brown, um, who wrote Daring Greatly, many of you probably know of her work, she writes this about the difference between guilt and shame. She says that shame is a focus on self, guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is, I am bad, guilt is, I did something bad. And what Peter needed to recognize is, yeah, you did something bad, but doesn't mean that you're not valuable. It doesn't mean that you're not worthwhile to receive God's grace. He's right by saying, hey, I'm a sinful man. But even though he, he was acknowledging that he's a sinful man, he needed to recognize that Jesus was able to change that. Jesus was able to do something about that. He's sinful, but he's not done for. He's made some mistakes, but that doesn't have to define him. And that certainly doesn't have to define us. Okay, so back to the question, where does shame, where does shame come from? So if it's not from God, where does it come from? Well, it certainly comes from, it comes from the devil. I'm gonna show you that here in just a second. But I wanna I want share a little story with you. So um, when I was a kid, I, uh, I, every, during the summer, I always went to the public pool. I loved going to the public pool. When I was about, it was, I was about eight years old, and I was a chubby little kid. It was, I was just cute as a button. I floated so well in the water. <laughs> so, so we go to the pool, now I'd swim, and one time I, was, I went to the bathroom, then I went to the sink to wash my hands, and, and uh, I, I started to lean up against the, the deal to see the mirror, 
And I noticed there's a couple of kids off to my right. Well, as I, I started leaning up on it, the whole thing just broke. It just falls to the ground. And I'm just, and then there's water just spraying. So like something broke bad. I mean, it was really bad. Well, I hear the, the two kids say, run, run, dude. And I was like, I was like, no, I can't, I can't run. Well, they ended up getting, a staff member came in and he was like, kind of sus about, you know, what I had done here. And I was like, I promise I barely leaned on it. I mean, I am a little chubby, but I'm not that big. <laughs> so, so I leaned, you know, I, I like, I couldn't have possibly broken this. I was trying to convince them and finally they let me stay at the pool. And uh, man, those kids, they framed me. They, I'm eight years old. They set me up, you know, they had done something to it and I, you know, whatever. So I was crushed by this accusation, of course. And um, I go back in the pool and I'm just there and I'm trying to hold back the tears and I'm just like, I'm gonna cry, but I didn't want anybody to see me cry. So I was just in the water and I was just like, I'm just gonna go under the water. (laughs) And I would cry, I would weep under the water and then I just came back up. I was like, I'm not crying. (laughs) So that's that's what I did. It was terrible, it was traumatizing. I got accused. I got accused. It's not ever fun to be falsely accused, but this is what the enemy does to us. And I can show you that. I can prove that to you. Revelation 12, verses 9 through 11 says this. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He is hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So you see, this is what the devil does. He tries to accuse us. What do we, what do, we do? Well, we claim what Jesus has done for us is sufficient. I may have made mistakes, but you know what? I believed in Jesus and his blood covers me. And so devil, you can accuse me of whatever, but you know what? I've got the blood of Jesus covering me. So you can't, you can't come with any ac- accusation against me. I'm right with God. And so that's how we overcome against the, but this is what the devil's been doing. I mean, you look at the beginning of Job and what he did. He went before the Lord and started accusing Job and it was like, well, you only do this because you, you protect him. And so they went through this whole process, but Job maintained his integrity. But that's what the devil does. He accuses. And so whenever we feel that shame, you gotta know it's either coming from you or it's coming from the enemy, but it's not coming from God. It's not from him. And so shame has destroyed so many, and it could have destroyed Peter, but it didn't. Look, look what happens. All right, the second point here. Jesus offers a better future by giving us a better identity. So this is the second, second lesson that we see when it comes to following Jesus. Okay, so we're gonna just read a couple more verses in Luke chapter five, and then we're gonna jump back to Matthew chapter four. This is what it says in Luke chapter five, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is the same guy as Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, another translation says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, look, you fish for fish, but I'm gonna turn you into a person that fishes for people, for men and women, for the kingdom of God. 
He would do that for Peter, for Andrew, James and John, the whole crew, and the rest of the disciples. He would turn them into fishers of men. He would change their identity, which within this is a powerful truth about what God does with us. You know what God loves to do? God loves to change you. He loves to change me. He loves to grow you. He loves to grow me. You know what God loves to do? He loves to transform us. He loves to do a good renovation on our souls. How many in here like uh, HDTV? You're a fan? HDTV, um, DIY Network. Oh, yeah. You know, PBS, this old house. I used to watch this old house so much. Oh, my goodness. Fixer Upper, all of those. I just love, I love them just taking an old house and it's all messy and just gross and, and the worst of the worst and they just turn it into something so amazing. You know what? That's what God likes to do with us. You know, when I was 14, I committed my life to Jesus and God didn't waste any time on re renovating me. You know, I had a really bad potty mouth and God fixed that real quick. He like, no more potty words for you, mister. So I had to change, I had to change that. God began to work on my behavior, what I was doing. And then God continued to work on my behavior and then he began to work on my motives. And then God continued to work on my behavior and my motives and then he started to work on my selfishness by giving me kids <laughs> and three dogs, okay, three. And God began to work on all of those things and all through that he's always been working on my faith, growing my faith. But that's what God does for any of us that he's always growing us and, and shaping us. And you know why God does this? Does he just wanna torture us? <laughs> just wanna make it hard for us, make it difficult? No, he, he doesn't. I'm gonna read some verses here that's gonna explain why he does this. The first one's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I know that might sound complicated, but basically what it's saying, the, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth. He's saying, listen, as you, as you look on God, as you read the Bible, as you worship, as you're around the people of God, as you're in the presence of God, as you're having your prayer time, all of those things you're contemplating and you're looking at the glory of God. You know what's happening? is God's beginning to reflect on you and starting to transform you into ever-increasing glory. It's kind of like one of those little glow sticks. You know, eventually those little glow sticks, they don't glow anymore. And so what you gotta do is you gotta put them up to a light for a while. And once you put them up to a light, then it starts glowing on its own. And that's what, what God does with us. He starts to transform us by, by his glory reflecting back on us. And that's what Paul is saying. As we contemplate, as we view, as we look, then God begins to transform us and change our image back into the image of Christ. How Jesus looked, that's what God wants to do with you. He wants you to look like him. He wants you to act like him. And how is he gonna do that? He's gonna do that by showing his glory to you and it's going to begin to reflect off of you as you begin to behold the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come the old has gone, the new is here. I love that. The old Nathan is gone. The old Nathan is over. I'm a new creation 
in Christ. I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I left the old Nathan behind, and now I'm a new person in Christ. This is what God has for me. This is what God had for Peter, and this is what God had for, has for all of us today. That he gives us a new identity. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 says this. Notice the progression. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. The bookends of that are faith and love, and all the stuff in between is what we're growing in and becoming more like Jesus as we do it. What Jesus wants to do is turn us into new creations. He transforms our identity. You know, we were made in the image of God, the Bible says, and that the image was messed up whenever we brought sin into the world. But what God has been doing through Christ is he's been transforming one person at a time, working on them and transforming them back into his image, the original image. And he does that through the process of working in your life and guiding you and helping you and speaking to us as we behold his glory. I wanna read this to you. God doesn't just want us to do things in this life God wants us to step into what he sees us to be. You know, Peter was a fisherman, but what Jesus saw was a fisher of men. God wanted him to step into what God saw for him, not just do something. You know, for some, you know, God doesn't want you just to do, do parenting. You know, God wants you to be your child's hero and point them to God. You know, God doesn't want us just to, you know, if you're a student, just to do student stuff. God wants you to become a student of his word and to learn what God says for them, for you. God doesn't want us just to, maybe you do construction, but God wants you to be a builder of his kingdom. You know, maybe you're a counselor and you've got counselor as a label outside your office, but you know what? God wants you to be more than that. God wants you to be one that points people to the great counselor, God wants to not just have us do things. God wants us to step into what he sees us to be. And that's what he wanted for Peter. He wanted him not just to accept an invitation, but a change of identity, a new identity. When we choose to follow Jesus, it's an adventure for the transformation. We're stepping into a journey to be transformed. Now, I want to show you a statement up here on the screen here in just a moment. And I want you to know that this statement is just as much for me. Like, it's kind of a blunt statement and kind of a, you know, I was thinking, man, maybe this is coming across too harsh, but I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and say it um, and, and put it up there, but I want you to know that it's, it's for me as well. This is, what it, this is what it says. If we're not getting better, behaving, living, and speaking more like Jesus year after year, then we're not following Jesus. And what Jesus is looking for are followers, not fans, up to that point, Peter had been a fan, but he was not a follower. He knew about Jesus. He liked what Jesus said. He probably was like, I'm gonna try to implement some of these things, but he was not a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is looking for are followers. Now imagine if Peter didn't accept the invitation to follow Jesus. I mean, Peter would have missed out on so much. You fast forward to Acts chapter two, when he preaches the first, the, the first sermon that, that the um, uh, in, in the book of Acts, where there was 3,000 people added to the church. I mean, that was, that was huge. He would have missed out on that opportunity. He was Jesus's right-hand man. He was part of the 12. 
He was in the inner circle. Like Peter was a leader in the church. Like he would have missed out on all of that if he hadn't accepted the invitation. You know, I think about us. When God calls us to follow him, I mean, what opportunities could we miss out on? What kind of chances could we miss because we say, man, I'm just not willing to do that. But whenever we accept the invitation, man, God opens up amazing doors, does incredible things, all because we said, yes, I will follow. Okay, so what, is it, what does it mean? Or how do you know that you're following Jesus? How do you know that you're following Jesus? All right, so this, this third point here. A real future is found in the real Jesus living a real Christian life. Let me read that again. A real future is found in the real Jesus living a real Christian life. Okay, so we're gonna jump back to Matthew. Matthew chapter four says this, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. Okay, so the people are responding to Jesus. They're, they're, they are, are seeing what's happening and they're like, wow, this is, this is real. The reality is what Jesus is demonstrating is, is not just a preaching of the gospel, but a backing of, of that gospel with power, where there's a real life that's living. In fact, you see this all over the gospels to where some are perplexed on what to do with Jesus because he's unlike any of the other religious leaders. Look what it says in Luke chapter four, verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. In other words, he's, he's saying, Man, this, this guy actually has authority because he's able to do something about people's situations. Like he's able to perform miracles. Look what Matthew chapter nine, verse six says. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. This was a story of uh, some people that took a, a paralyzed guy to Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is not, you know, be healed or get up. He says, your sins are forgiven. Some religious leaders were listening on and saying, well, man, this guy, how does he have the power to forgive sins? This Jesus dude, who, do he, who does he think he is? And so, so Jesus, knowing their, their thoughts, says, hey, let me ask you this. Is it harder to say your sins are forgiven or to tell this guy, Take, pick uh, your mat up and go home, this paralyzed guy? He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. He told the dude, get up and walk, and he got up and walked. He was backing up what he said with what he was doing. The life that he was living was backing up the words that he proclaimed, and that's what gave him so much influence. That's what gave him so much power. John chapter 11, verse 47 says this. This is when the leading priests just didn't know what to do with Jesus. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. You know, Jesus didn't want to make it hard for people. <laughs> he was like, let me show you who I am. I'm not just going to proclaim a gospel to you. I'm not just going to say a message. I'm actually going to live this thing out. 
let's just say hypothetically speaking, um, I, I turn into a salesman here and I want to sell you, I want to sell you a device. And this device is going to, it's going to mow your lawn. It's going to clean your house. It's going to do your laundry. Okay, all, it's going to do all those things for you. You don't have to do anything. It's going to vacuum everything. It's going to clean everything. It's going to dust everything. I know some of you are like, I already have that. It's my teenager. Okay. Okay, let's say you don't have a teenager, and I'm going to sell you this device. And let's say it's only going to be $500, okay? I'm going to sell it to you. $500, you'll probably be like, hey, this is great. Wow, it mows my lawn. It cleans the house. It does the laundry. It does all those things. That's amazing. Like only $500. bucks. say, I'm in on this. But you probably ask one more thing before you actually handed me your credit card. This is the show me state. You'd be like, show it to me, right? Show it to me. You know, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He's like, I'm, I'm gonna demonstrate to these people these miracles. I'm gonna demonstrate to these people that, hey, this is the real deal. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, that's gotta be true of us as well. You know, if Jesus didn't have all these miracles happen, you know, his, his ministry wouldn't have taken off. He would have been proclaiming something that didn't have any power to back it. His life wouldn't have lined up with what he was proclaiming. It would have never taken off. But instead it does take off because he lives a life that backs up his words. That's where the power was. Let me give you, let me give you this quote. Influence doesn't begin with our voice. It starts with our life. Influence doesn't begin with what I say to you. It starts with the life that I live. You know, for all of us, if we're proclaiming to be followers of Jesus, it comes down to loving God and loving people. How we treat people is huge. How we treat people is huge. You know, maybe you're a business owner, and, and if you do this, this is awesome. This is how a Christian should be. It's not about the bottom line as much as it's about how do I treat people? How do I treat my employees? You know, if you're a parent, let me, let me ask you this. Is, is your, your parenting, God just doesn't, just doesn't want you to be a parent. He wants you to be an influencer with your kids. But do your kids feel like safe to come to you? Or are they more worried about the room being clean and making sure everything's just right and there's no dust in the house? God's more interested in how you treated your kids. Like at the end of your life, he's not gonna care how much dust is in your house. Some of you are like, praise God, because our house is a mess. (laughs) God is more concerned with how we treat people behind closed doors. How do you treat your employees? If you're a manager, how do you, you treat your team? How do you communicate to them? How do you talk to them? That is what's gonna give you the power to have influence. If it's just a voice, if it's just commands, if it's just, but they see hypocrisy, there's no power in that. Your influence won't spread. And, and more importantly, Jesus' influence will be tarnished, especially if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus aren't perfect. Let me be clear about that. We're not perfect, but we do say we're sorry. We do make things right. We do treat people right. We love them as God loves them. That's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus had the power to live a life because he was doing all these miracles. He was living it out. Now you might say, man, I can't do miracles like Jesus. But I would encourage you to look at your life because many of you here, since you've met Jesus, let's, let's take your marriage for example. Jesus has totally turned it around. And people on the outside look at your marriage and think, man, although it's not perfect, I'm sure. You look at your marriage and say, man, it seems like you guys are just so happy. 
you know what? That's a miracle. Like you think about it, from the world's perspective, that is a miracle, what God has done in your marriage. Maybe for some of you, it's like I talked about owning a business. They start to work for you, or maybe you're a manager. They start to work for you. They love working for you, though it's not perfect. Though sometimes you get some bad apples that come work for you. I get it. All right, but, but they love working for you because you, you're different. You treat them different than the other places that they've worked. There, that's a miracle. That stands out. Man, that God looks at that and says, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for right there. That's, that's what a follower of Jesus does. You know, maybe for some of you, it's like your kids, you know, your kids, they see who you are behind the scenes and, and they mimic how you are. And then you, you see your kids, though they're not perfect either, for sure. But, but you're like, man, that's a miracle that they're turning out okay. Becca and I look at our kids and we're like, wow, how did this happen? This is <laughs> awesome. They're not perfect, but man, they're great. And I'm just like, man, that's a miracle. I know that for some of you, you're like, well, I mean, not doing great there, not doing great there, not doing great there. I get it that you can't control other people. You can influence them, okay? So like in your marriage, you know, you can't control. You can influence, but you can ultimately control yourself. We all can control ourselves to say, you know what? I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I can control my tongue and what I say to other people. I can control how I treat people. I can control how I react. And followers of Jesus represent Jesus and how they treat people. If you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you gotta live a life that backs up what you say. You know, I, when I was a student at, um, or when I was a student pastor at James River Church, I was a high school pastor. It was a, my first pastoral position. And uh, there was a student there that i become, uh, you know, almost like a mentor to him. And he started attending my uh, student small group. So I had a student small group and and he came and, and he was just on fire for Jesus, loved the Lord. And it was so cool to watch him. His, he started his freshman year. And I remember telling him his freshman year, I was like, bro, you're gonna, one day, I believe, you're gonna lead this small group. You're gonna take my place. So we're gonna work towards that. And man, he stayed faithful all the way through all those four years. And sure enough, when he graduated, he became an adult leader and he took over the small group. So cool. He eventually, he got married. He would eventually be called to help with a church plant. And he's now he's got four, uh, four kids, four girls, and just an amazing guy. And the guy I'm talking about, you might know him, is John Torgerson. He's an amazing follower of Jesus. Yeah, let's celebrate John, what God's done. What I think about John is, although I love what he does, like, you know, running all the teams and making sure everything's all done, that, that dude does a lot. And uh, he makes sure all that, and all that's great. That's, that's what he does. But you know what he is? He's a man of God. He, he's a, he's a, a wonderful husband to his wife. He's an amazing dad to his four girls. Like that's, that's who God has turned him into be. He's a spiritual leader. He's helping push back the darkness and build the kingdom of God. That's the difference between what, what he does and now his identity, because he's a follower of Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to let go of the past, let Jesus change us, and let the miracle of our transformed lives get the attention of others. Today, I wanna ask all of us this question. I wanna challenge us with this question. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Notice I didn't ask, are you a Christian? I want today, I want you to answer that question. Are you following Jesus? Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray. Everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. I do just here at the end want to give you an opportunity 
that if today you realize, hey, I'm not following Jesus. I'm not putting him first. I'm not really what it means to follow Jesus. I'm not doing that. Today, I wanna to give you an opportunity to put your faith in him and to truly follow Jesus. I won't take long with it, but I do wanna give you that chance. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you forward or anything like that. I just wanna take an opportunity to pray for you with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, you say, you know what? I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna make that decision. Just like Peter did, I'm gonna follow Jesus from this day forward. Come on, all over this place, would you slip up your hand? I wanna take a moment to pray for you. Come on, slip it up. Yeah, that's awesome. Over here, over here, over there. Yeah, that's awesome. Over here, so cool. Yeah, back there. As soon as you slip it up, you can, you can put it back down. I just want a chance to pray for you. That's so cool. Father, I pray for every single person that raised their hand to make that decision to truly follow you. God, I pray that today you would transform their life, the miracle that you did in Peter's life and many others, God, that you would do in their life, that they would make that decision to leave their old life behind and to take steps forward into the future. God, I pray that you transform their identity. God, not just give them something to do. God, make them into a new person. Lord, just like you've done me and so many in this room. And God, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that we can worship you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm gonna have the, the prayer team, those praying uh, for people to come forward. You just stand up here at, at the front. I wanna encourage you here in a moment when we, we begin to worship this final song. If you have a need or if you're just like, you made that decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to, the opportunity to pray for you. So as soon as uh, we start singing, you're welcome to come forward. They'd love to believe great things in your heart and life that God's gonna do something incredible. But for the rest of us, could we just take a moment? Could we worship our Savior, the one that we're following? So come on, all over this place, would you just begin to lift your hands right now?